All right, quick question. I think I know the answer, but how many enjoy going to the doctor? It's a big thrill for you. The reason we don't enjoy going to the doctor is either you're going because you feel like something's wrong or um, you're getting a physical and they might find something wrong with you, right? Like, uh, who, who wants to hear any kind of news like that? And as I was thinking about the job of a doctor, the job of a doctor is to judge our health. Like, use the word judge in a positive way. The doctor judges our health. Are you healthy or not? Are you in between? And they, they judge your health, and then they diagnose, and then they give a, you know, a remedy for whatever might be wrong with you. And as, you think of, as I was thinking about doctors, doctors and preachers have kind of a, this dilemma. Do we practice what we preach? You know, have you ever been told by a, a doctor who's overweight that maybe you need to lose some weight? You're like, well, what about you, Doc? Like, you know, I mean, that's the immediate where our mind goes to somebody's potential hypocrisy in, in judging us. Or, you, you know, hey, you shouldn't smoke, but the doctor smokes, right? I mean, that sounds funny. Well, the same goes with, with, with preaching. Do we practice what we preach? Here's the deal. Jesus is never hypocritical. Whatever he teaches us, whatever, he practices whatever he preaches all the time. He is the one who, um, we, you see on the Sermon on the Mount, he said how to live, and then he went out and did exactly what he said about loving his enemies and, and doing good to others. So the scriptures are going to do the same thing uh, for us as well. So today we're continuing in this series that we've been in called My Two Sons. Where we got the title of that is from in 2 Timothy, which we just finished last week, Paul called Timothy his son in the faith. And then as we're going to find out today in his letter to Titus, that he also was his son in the faith. These two guys that he poured into, two guys that he spent time with, found on his missions and, and, and raised them up and equipped them to be the pastors and leaders that they were. So just a little bit about Titus. Titus was, was Greek. Somewhere in one of Paul's missionary journeys, he would have found this guy named Titus. And, and so he was Greek, and he raises him up. And he, as we're going to see in the letter, he leaves him on the island of Crete, which is an island, in the largest Greek island in the Mediterranean. And I got to looking for the island of Crete because it's a place, obviously, you can still go to today. I found a couple pictures if you want to take a peek. That, there's where Crete is in reference to the Mediterranean. Here's some landscape. Pretty cool looking pristine beach. I, I could hang there. Water's really blue. Yeah, I think we could. Could you handle that? Should we do a mission trip there? Paul and his companions would go throughout the world. They took Jesus' commission to go into all the world preaching the good news. And he would go and they would, they would preach the gospel, they would start churches, they would raise up leaders and pastors, and then they would move on. Well, from the island of Crete, for whatever reason, we're going to find out the reason, Paul left Titus behind. So that doesn't look like a bad place to, to be left behind, in my opinion, but don't let those pictures fool you into some sort of real, false notion that Titus had 
beach and pina colada ministry. Like that was, that was going to be his. It, Crete was a horrible place. The people in the culture were vulgar and angry and, and just like whatever you can picture in that, like just the way people treated each other. There was no, no, no good in that society. And yet the gospel, as we know, transforms people and then it transforms communities and it transforms cities. And it's what was happening in Crete. It, you think about Corinth. That was one of the most pagan cities and yet people heard the gospel and the church sprang up from amongst this pagan society. So that's what was going on here in Crete. It was a rough, rough and tumble place for, for Titus. Titus was very special to Paul. He had a special place in the Apostle Paul's heart. He was not his son in the faith whom he admired Titus's faith. He talks about in Galatians that Titus had the faith to stand up to people who were trying to dilute the pure gospel. And he also says in 2 Corinthians 7 that Paul was depressed at some point in time, and the believers were depressed, and that, that is, Paul said, by the coming of Titus, God comforted us. He came and he encouraged us. Titus had some gift in his life to be able to encourage those that are downcast. I'm mean, happy for those kind of people in your life. You're blessed with people who, who encourage you when you're down. That's Titus. That's, that's how Paul saw him. So this is a, a pastoral letter to help Titus pastor a healthy church or healthy churches in an unhealthy culture. Does that sound familiar? A healthy church in an unhealthy culture is what we need today for sure. So the word health is, is just, it's the general condition of someone physically and mentally. How's your health physically and mentally? It's the general overall condition. It's the diagnosis. It's judging our health. So like a doctor judges physical health, we let the scripture, we let Jesus, Jesus diagnose our spiritual health. How are we doing, you know, on the inside? Are we a healthy group of, of people? So again, we're going to see how, what is the marks of a healthy church? Also is, what is the mark of a healthy believer? What is the mark of someone who's healthy in their relationship with the Lord? The first thing I think Paul does in Titus chapter 1 is he, 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 a healthy church has a healthy view of the gospel. A healthy view has a, has a healthy understanding and grip on the good news of Jesus. The word gospel means good news. What is the good news? Well, Paul starts with his little, his little prologue here in his letter to Titus. He says, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and which now, at his appointed season, he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior, to Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus. What a way to start a letter. I love how Paul's letters are always telling people and reminding them of who they are in Christ. Even when he's going to correct somebody or give a rebuke, he always starts out that way. We could take cue from that in our lives. We could take cue from um, 
this world that we're so uptight right now. And you go to a store, you go to a restaurant, you just feel, you can even feel it here a little bit, like people, how do we, you know, how do we do, how do we operate? Things are so different than what it was March 8th, you know, the last time we had just one service and everybody together. We need this. We need a healthy view of the gospel. The elements of the gospel are all over what I just read. The knowledge of the truth, the hope of eternal life, God who cannot lie. When God makes a promise, you can take it to the bank. He promised it before the beginning of time. God our Savior, Jesus our Savior, that's the good news. If someone were to ask you, what is the gospel? What would you say? What is the gospel? What does that mean? How does that affect my life? I'm going to give you how I would do it. And this has been growing in me. I've been following Jesus for 27 years, and I'm still learning. We're all still just learning. And and there's a freshness in my life right now, a passion for, for this and understanding this. But I would say the gospel starts with God. The gospel starts in eternity past where God, who is first and foremost a relationship. Did you know that? God is first and foremost a relationship between the Father, Son, and the Spirit. One God, three persons. It's the Trinity. And that relationship between the Father and Son through the Spirit is a perfect relationship of others-centered love, sacrificial others-centered love. And of course, God is omnipresent, omnipotent, all the omnis and things that we could use to describe God. But I promise you, it will change your understanding of the gospel for the better and your understanding of yourself and him if you think of him first and foremost as a happy, joyful relationship within himself. Not head knowledge, but heart reality, as I'll continue to explain. So we know God created to share that relationship with Adam and Eve, and he created, he gave creation to share his creation with people. We know that, that Adam and Eve, they believed the lie. Satan, who is the father of lies, from the beginning has always been a liar, came to them in the garden and, and got them to question whether God was really good or not. And then he, when they, after they <clears throat> sinned and did exactly what God said not to do, God comes to them, and he didn't come down, if you remember, walking in the garden in wrath and anger and, what did you do? I can't believe you did this. He comes and he says, where are you? Who told you you were naked? Who who gave you this shame? And in that shame that darkened their minds, they started rejecting God. God didn't reject them. They rejected God, and the human race has been doing that ever since. Something had to be done. And there was a plan in God, not a plan B, but a plan A before the foundation of the world that God the Son, Jesus Christ, would come into this world and take on flesh, that God would become human. It's called the incarnation. If you don't know what that word is, think of Christmas. Think of the babe in the manger. God became one of us, and he came to show us what God was like. No one had ever known what God was like. Even Abraham and Moses only had glimpses Because John chapter 1 says that no one has ever seen God, but God the Son has explained him. I love one translation. Jesus explained God. So if you want to know what God is like or teach somebody what God is like, show them the life of Jesus Christ in the pages of the gospel. 
you'll know what God is like. You don't have to question. Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father and I are one. That relationship never, ever got severed, never gets severed. And so in his life, Jesus taught us what the kingdom of God was, was like, showed us and demonstrated what the kingdom of God was like. But then in his mission, he came and he submitted himself to death on a cross. He submitted himself to death on the cross, knowing he said it over and over, I'm going to die at the hands of sinful men, but on the third day, I'm going to rise from the grave. The disciples didn't ever understand that until it actually happened. Then he still didn't fully understand it. But Jesus, when he died on the cross, he abolished death. He took away death's power, that fear that we all have about dying. He took that away. We don't have to fear. And he, he nailed sin to the cross, and he defeated the works of the devil. That's good news. That's the best news we'll ever hear. The gospel is for all people. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world, right, that he gave his one and only son. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus in John chapter 1, he sees Jesus walking by and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, right? God loves the world. He loves people. I've been in a, a class that I've been taking, and I've been on a kind of a cool journey of just re passion for the scriptures and, and for the Lord, and, and I'm in this class, and our assignment was to summarize the gospel in one word, one preposition, and one verse of scripture, like if you just had to have quick recall, and I, I prayed about it, and, and the verse that God led me to was 2 Corinthians 5, 19. This is the gospel to me. God was in Christ. And whenever you see Paul uses the word God, he's talking about the Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the Father was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So my word is reconciliation, my preposition is in, and that verse is the summary of the gospel. But here, here's the part of the good news that I think we don't dwell upon enough. I, I, sh I know I certainly have not, but I am now. And you're going to hear it when I talk, I promise. You probably, it, it, to me, this is, is a game changer, is when we re recognize that Jesus brought us into his relationship with the Father. Think about that. He didn't bring us into a relationship that's like the relationship that he has with the Father. He brought us into the very relationship of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Meditate on that. Talk to him this week and just say, Jesus, are you in me? See what he has to say. Jesus is the Father in me in the midst of all my stuff and all my mess and all my brokenness. Jesus is the Holy Spirit. Am I the temple where your, the spirit resides, man, you want to talk about game-changing prayers and, and relationship. This isn't about religion. This isn't about all these outward stuff. This is about what we were created for, to be in relationship with him and with one another. Um, last week, I was playing golf with Annette and Darcy Nairns. They greet out front a lot, and um, we were coming off one of the 
Greens, and I asked Annette, I said, what, what's your favorite thing about the gospel, just out of the blue? And she said, Jesus brought me to the Father. I thought, that's awesome. Like, that's, that is good news, and, and it's at the heart of the gospel. We've reduced the gospel to a get-out-of-jail-free card. You know, you play Monopoly and you get the get-out-of-jail-free card. That's not the gospel. We were, he, he created us for so much more than just sin management. It's a relationship. Second thing I think Paul tells us as a mark of a, of a healthy church is a healthy church has a healthy leadership team. A healthy church has a healthy view of the gospel, and a healthy church has a healthy leadership team. He says this, he says, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town, as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, um, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So I want to, before I dig into this, I want to take that word elder. He said, appoint elders in each town. Depending upon the tradition you grew up in or when you hear the word elder, it could conjure up all kinds of things. Does elder mean uh, older people? Certainly can and certainly does. There's a respect to be given to, to, to the elderly and, and there's a, uh, a mentoring and a, them pouring in life wisdom to the church and to people. But the word elder often in the West, especially in America, is a church has a board of elders, right? Most people, that's the understanding of it. And yet, it's kind of an archaic word in the sense that Paul, we don't see the word elder show up until later after churches had started. The very first letter Paul wrote to one of the churches was 1 Thessalonians, and he, 1 Thessalonians, and in that letter, he tells them to honor those who are over them in the Lord. He used the word leader. And so First Peter, Peter actually uses the word elder interchangeably with overseer and shepherd and the word elder. So they're kind of overlapped. So what, is that, what does that all really mean? I think the bottom line is God puts leaders in church. He puts pastors and leaders within a church to lead. And so we got to have a healthy leadership team. We're going to we're going to look at that, but just real quick, if um, you're new to the church or you need to be reminded, our leadership team at Novation is, is set up like this. We have a board of directors, there, and currently there's six, six people on the, on the board, and the job of the board functions probably like what most people think elders do, in that they're accountable for the ministries, they're accountable for the finances, vision, direction, decision-making, things of that nature. And our current board, I'm just a voting, one of six voting members, is Brian Sump, who did announcements. He's, he is our board president right now. And then Darcy Narens is a board member. Uh, Joel Diebel, who prayed just a minute ago. Uh, Brad Johan 
and then myself and Janelle Applegate, my wife. We make up the, the six board members. So that's part of the leadership team because it overlaps with the ministry leaders. We have uh, six things at Novation that we're trying to do to fulfill our vision of being a church who makes disciples who make disciples. And so our ministries leaders oversee what we call our pillars, the things that drive what we do. And those six are Sunday experience, of which I oversee the Sunday experience. And so that's what happens on Sunday mornings, but also Sunday night, our youth come back together on Sunday nights. <laughs> Got a little whoop whoop there. But uh, so Pastor Mark Bullion, who leads, you know, children and youth, all the, they come back and he's part of that, that leadership. And then Tom Fields for, and Sheena for middle school. Um, yep. And that happens on Sundays. Then we have our connection ministry or pillar. Connection, the job of the connection ministry, led by Joel and Alicia Dennis, is to do Kona trucks, to do golf tournaments, to do anything that promotes relationship outside of Sunday morning so we can get to know each other, not just in, out, in, out, you know, find your seat, especially now in the COVID time when there's not as much mingling. So they, they do that. And then we have home groups led by Joel and, and Kristen Diebel. We have a thriving home group ministry where people meet in homes and do life together and care for one another. And then um, spiritual growth, Chris Ingalls leads that, and our spiritual growth is kind of the target bullseye for what the church is about, that we become healthy, whole followers of Jesus in how we think, act, and speak. So whatever promotes that spiritual growth, and they all kind of overlap for that goal. Then we have our prayer and care pillar, which is led again by, by Pastor Mark. He leads our, our prayer meetings, prayer requests. Um, he fields those and brings them to the prayer team. And then, you know, if somebody's sick or we caring for the church, that falls under, under that. And then lastly is outreach, led by Seth and Danielle Woodyard, and that's global and local things to, to promote the gospel, to promote love, to spread the love of Christ wherever wherever we can. So that's, that's that part. Let me just tell you, honestly, um, there was a lot about healthy character, what Paul says here. And we're all striving to have healthy character as we grow closer to Jesus. But I can promise you that we are imperfect people. Therefore, you have an imperfect leadership team. He's perfect. We're, he, we're imperfect following the perfect one. He is, he is working within us to become like him. But a healthy leader doesn't need healthy character. A healthy leader is a servant. At Novation, our leadership team is not up here looking down on the rest of the church. We actually are striving to flip that. We're actually in the place, we're the servants serving the church. That's what ministry is, is to serve. So we're not up here, we're down here looking up to serve our, our fellowship, to serve our congregation. But again, imperfect. We're maturing, we're growing. I would tell you this, don't ever follow a leader blindly just because they have a title, whatever that title is. Leaders are going to fail. I've failed some of you, but you've given me grace, and I appreciate that. We need grace. Leaders need grace, and we need one another, and we need grace in difficult times. My job is not to have you follow me. My job is to help you follow him. And that's the job of any, any, any church leader. Sometimes 
I hear people say, well, you know, church leaders and pastors are called to a higher standard. I don't believe so. I believe anyone who names the name of Jesus, we're all called to the same standard of becoming like him. He's the standard. No pastor, no leader is the standard. We, we, we follow him, and he is the standard. I can accept that I have a higher responsibility. You bet. I, I have a higher level of, of influence in this certain area, but I'm just a dude, pastor, what a doctor. We don't revere anybody. We're human beings, right? I remember experiencing this years ago. First time I went to Israel, I took a bunch of high school students with me. And it was like herding cats. So, but love high school students. It's just, it is what it is. But I remember one of the mothers of one of the kids that was coming on the trip. Um, how do I say this? She was a little high strung, I could tell, you know. And I'm not. So, I mean, I probably can be, but it, I knew that there was going to be. I was going to rub her wrong at some point in time. This was going to be inevitable. And uh, we had gotten to Israel. We're tired. And I said a word that she goes, Scott, you're a pastor. And I said, yeah. <laughs> and, and I said, oh, I said, did that offend you? I said, I'm sorry. I said, that doesn't offend most people. But if it offends you, I won't say that anymore in front of you. But I said, we're going to have to kind of get together here and realize if that stressed you out, there's going to be a lot more stressing going on on this trip than just that. And she actually laughed, and we got along fine, and it was great. And she probably said the same word that I said at some point during the trip anyway, so we're good. I'm just kidding. Um, I think the third thing that Paul gives as a mark of the church, it's a healthy view of the gospel, a healthy leadership team, and then a healthy church has healthy doctrine. And the word doctrine simply means teaching. Doctrine is what does the Bible say about any given subject? You take all the verses, chapters, what does the Bible say about marriage? What does it say about prayer? What does it say about God, etc.? And that's what doctrine really boils down to is what does the Bible say? And so Paul continues here. Remember, this is a pastoral letter written to a guy trying to oversee churches on a, on a culture that's little by little being transformed by the gospel. So they were going to obviously have some problems. He says, for there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. One of Crete's own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. Dang. Like Paul just says this, and this saying is true. <laughs> if the boot fits, right? Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to merely human commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. You, however, must teach 
what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Interpretation of Scripture has consequences, right or wrong, good or bad. How we teaching has consequences, good or bad. Ideas have consequences, good or bad. And in my 24 years of, of ministry, I've seen people crushed by bad teaching. I've seen people crushed by legalism and, and getting this, and, and people using the scripture to manipulate, to control, uh, to make people, you know, shame them and not see it as a life giving book and the author of the book and truly who, what is the message of the book. And I've seen people, men, just get hurt. We, we, we see it right now. People are walking away from churches in droves. Young people, once they graduate high, high school, they're out. They go off to college or somewhere else, and they're not connecting in church. And we got, that's why we got to have a healthy view of the gospel. We got to have healthy people leading. We have to be healthy ourselves in understanding this. Scripture abuse always leads to spiritual abuse. When we abuse the scriptures and manipulate them, we're spiritually abusing somebody. And that's not pleasing to the Lord. Jesus came when he talked to the teachers of the law and the, and the Pharisees. He knew they were abusing the scriptures to keep people down. And that ticked him off. He was hard on those, those people. And yet we saw sinners and broken people and prostitutes flock to Jesus. Why? Because he's humble. He's love. That's the way church should be. That's, that's a vision that we have to have, is that broken people can come and find healing and hope, not condemnation. They got enough of that. The Judaizers, the, when he talks about the, the group of the circumcision group, don't listen to Jewish myths or human commands. Man, we can fall into those traps. What, what, what he was saying there is there was a group of people called the Judaizers that Paul would go and, and he would, they would start a church and he would live with them for a season. And then, um, like let's say Ephesus, when Paul would leave Ephesus, the Judaizers would like, you know, is he gone? Okay, he's gone. Phew, glad that guy's gone. Uh, let me tell you the real truth about Jesus. Yes, you need to follow Jesus, but you need to become Jewish outwardly. You need to obey all the laws. You need to obey all the commands. And Paul, who was a Jew, said, no, that's not what the gospel is not about becoming Jewish. It's about Jesus who unites all races and all people together. We follow him. Don't, you don't need to do that. I've been on a journey since we went to Israel in, was that 19. Have I told you we went to Israel lately? I don't know if I've told you that. Um, we did. And something happened to me. Something happened inside of me. And I, I, it's been I'm awesome. I just share it with you humbly. Like, I don't know. i just hungry for God. I'm hungry for Jesus. I'm hungry to help other people know the real Jesus. The one Jesus of Nazareth. Not some God we made up out of our anger, legalism, pushing, rejecting, all that. He loves people, and he loves us deeply. So I've been on this journey to read the Bible better so that I know him better. That I, wanna, I don't want to be right. I want to think right. I want to think right about him. And so when we do that, 
we think right about him, we'll think right about ourselves. And we think right about ourselves, we'll think right about each other. And we won't be judgmental, critical, and then see who's in and who's out and all of that. We'll be able to see people as image bearers of God who need to know Jesus Christ if they don't know him. So I think healthy doctrine is so important. Healthy doctrine is when you major on the majors. What are the, the, the orthodox essential truths that unite all believers? What, what is that? That's sound doctrine. Let everything be filtered through the majors. Because there are secondary things uh, that are important, but I, I, my experience has been when a group of a person or a church start making a secondary issue, a primary issue, they immediately become unhealthy. They immediately become unhealthy in their walks and in, in, their, in their churches. And so we, as a leadership team, have, have, have been striving to keep the majors the majors. At our, at our church, listen, you can discuss, debate issues that are secondary, but let's don't divide over it. That's why there's a gazillion denominations, because somebody on a secondary issue said, yep, yeah, we all need to do this, and if you don't want to do it, we'll go create our own new thing. That's why that happens that way. We're a non-denominational church. So we, we have our beliefs, our main beliefs, guide and guard us, guide us in our, our practice and guard us from error. And so what we did is we took the old ancient creed known as the Apostles' Creed. And that is our, we tweaked it just a little bit and modernized it. And, and that is our framework from which we work in our belief system and the doctrine that we hold as non-negotiable. These are, these are the primary things that all believers have believed in in the past, present, and will believe in the future that, that bind us together. And some of you go might, might be thinking, Apostles' Creed, That's, that reminds me of stand up, sit down, kneel, stand up, sit down, kneel, recite this, stand up, sit down, kneel. You know what I'm talking about, stand up, sit down, kneel, and then I believe in God, the, you know, and it's just, it didn't have impact. I didn't grow up in that, so when I see the creed, I'm like, I'm attached to something that goes all the way back to the apostles and a summary of, of the, what the apostles taught. And when we say it and we, and, we, and we read it, we're attached to something that the disciples of the disciples came together to say, you know what, we want to guard against false doctrine. We want to guard against false teaching. And we want to be driven with a summary of what is New Testament apostolic teaching. That's what it is. That's not boring, stand up, sit down, kneel, repeat something. It's at the very heart of what the early church believed. And the early church saw explosive growth prior to even having the New Testament, you know, put together. They experienced growth because they saw that it was Jesus. It was preaching the undiluted gospel. So what I thought we could do today as a way of concluding is we're going to say the Apostles' Creed together. And it may be been a long time since you did that, but this is our statement of belief here at Novation that we believe is a healthy, healthy doctrine that leaves room for secondary things and, and all of that. But man, this is what unites us. So we stand with me and we're going to say it together. 
All right, let's say it together. We believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, Christ's holy church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the gospel that you were in Christ. Your relationship with your son was brought into human existence and you are reconciling the world back to you. You initiated it, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for your great grace, your great peace. I pray that over everyone in this room and every, everyone that's listening or watching, God, that we would walk in the power of your grace, the power of who you are, Lord. Lord, that we would know you better. We thank you for who you are. God, I pray for each person to walk in, in, in spiritual health. And from that spiritual health, they would walk in emotional and psychological health. And God, physical blessings of health over everybody. Lord, we thank you for who you are. Thank you that we can meet together and, 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 and we have this church family to lean on, Lord, to do life together. Grow our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.